we could this morning turn to the first chapter of Revelation. The first chapter of Revelation. From verse 8. From verse 8. Revelation chapter 1, commencing at verse 8. I'm reading in the standard version. I am the Alpha and the Omega, saith the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, and partaker with you in the tribulation and kingdom and patience which are in Jesus, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, What thou seest, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamum, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like unto a son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about at the breasts with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto burnished brass, as if it had been refined in a furnace and his voice as the voice of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth proceeded a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as one dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of hell. Write therefore the things which thou sawest, and the things which are, and the things which shall come to pass hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are seven churches. Well now, this uh, morning we come to the second of these times, um, the practical outworking. We've entitled it Vision, uh, the Practical Outworking. Working And really, um, we're talking or seeking to talk about um, the outworking of uh, this that we, we um, spoke of, we thought about last night. 
So for those who weren't here last night, I can only suggest you get uh, the tape and uh, listen uh, to that time. But really we have said simply that the eternal purpose of God is Christ. And it is not just Christ alone, but us in him. And so really these wonderful words of the Lord Jesus at the very end of the Bible in Revelation uh, 22 uh, come to have uh, a wonderful meaning, I think, to us. In Revelation 22 and uh, in uh, verse 13, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. Alpha and Omega, we would say in English, I am the A and the Z. But he didn't just mean I am the A and the Z and nothing in between. What he really meant was I am the alphabet. I am the whole alphabet, the whole language of God. I am, as it were, the whole, the totality of all that God has to say. I am the beginning and the end, the all, everything. And I think that's really simply what we were trying to say last night. And in many ways, it is marvellous. If you turn to John 14, you see, I, what, what I am seeking to, to try and, by the grace of God, put over, is that once you get hold of this thing, it's a, it's a key that unlocks the whole Bible and becomes, as it were, the, uh, the determining factor uh, in all our ways, I believe, once we really see it. Now, you see, in John 14, we have these wonderful words in verse 23. If a man love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now, when you sit down and think about that, it is absolutely amazing. The Father and the Son in us. The Father and the Son in you. But it's even more wonderful when you understand what he was saying in preceding verses, uh, in verse um, 16 and 17, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, for it beholdeth him not, neither knoweth him. Ye know him, for he abideth with you, and shall be in you. And here we come to the, mar the, 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 the tremendous discovery, the marvelous discovery that the whole Godhead dwells in us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if you sit down and think, this is looking at last what we said last night from a completely different angle, in one sense a different angle. Um, uh, it's only another way of looking at it. If you sit down and think about it, if the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in me, and if the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in you, and if the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in every single truly born-again believer, what has happened to us? We've become one. Now, our oneness is not that our temperaments are one. 
or our backgrounds are one, or our nationalities are one, or our racial uh, origin is one, our oneness is in God. He is our oneness. And then our, um, our uh, shall we say, our uh, different uh, temperaments, our, our different constitutions, our different backgrounds, all get gilded with a glory. Once the sting of division has been destroyed, once the barrier has been removed, then, as it were, all that becomes um, uh, uh, material for the glory and fullness and power and wisdom of God to be manifested in different ones. So I can only give one little part. You give another part. And you another, and you another. Put us together and we've got fullness. When I was younger, I could never understand the Lord, why he'd chosen a Matthew, a Mark, and a Luke, and a John. That seemed to me to be quite remarkable. And I used to think to myself, if I'd been the Lord, I would have chosen John and done the whole four Gospels through him. I mean, if the Lord wants to speak of Christ as king and wants to speak of Christ as servant and Christ as man and Christ as God, why not take the most spiritual of the four? And we wouldn't have those inconsistencies that everyone talks about <laughs> and so on. Could iron the whole lot out? Because I'd never read my Bible when I was 12 years of age, so it was already new and fresh to me. I used to think to myself, I can't understand why the Lord's done this. Of course, I understand it now. You see, in some way, God needed a Matthew to express Christ as king. And he needed a Mark to ex express Christ as the servant of the Lord. And he needed a Luke to express Christ as man, truly human. And he needed John to express Christ as God. Now, when you bring the four together, you've got fullness. You've got the full glory of the Lord Jesus Christ being expressed in four different, totally different men. You've got the same thing, of course, in the, in the New Testament. You've got Paul. Now, if Paul could have only written the letter of James, <laughs> some problems would have got ironed out. <laughs> but when God wanted to talk about works coming out of faith, and proving faith, he needed a James. And James says things which Paul would never have said. And Paul says things which James would never have said. But when you put the two together, you've got fullness. Yeah. Now you take John, in spite of the fact that the letters of John uh, um, and the Gospel of John, you, or if you know your Bible reasonably well, if I were to just put this in, now, now where does that come from? You would say, that's John. Now, why do you say that it's, inspired, inspired, it's the inspired word of God? How do you detect that it's John? Because John's uh, constitution, John's temperament, John's um, background is coming out. This is the wonderful thing about inspiration. Another little digression. You see, um, in the pagan world, in, in the Gentile world, um, there is an idea of, uh, of being taken over by the spiritual world, possessed, our mind, our temperament, all that being bypassed by another spirit. Now, this is the basis of all possession. <clears throat> now, the inspiration of the spirit, whether it's in spiritual gifts or in any other way, never bypasses the mind and never bypasses the person's temperament and being. 
But God takes up the vessel and in some marvelous way he hides himself in the vessel and then reveals himself through the vessel. And you can never quite divide the vessel from the speaking of God. So you've got a, J, you've got a John who, who is quite distinct. You've got a Peter who is quite distinct. You've got a James who is quite distinct. You've got a Paul who is quite distinct. Go back into the Old Testament, you've got the same thing. Isaiah and Jeremiah, if you know their prophecies, are quite different. Jeremiah was a real melancholic. <laughs> Always moaning. He was a marvellous man. But he, he, he felt everything so. And he comes out again and again. I often think if dear Jeremiah knew that generation after generation after generation were going to study his words, he wouldn't have said some of the things. <laughs> he said, he would never have said, Lord, why have you done this to me? I can't bear it anymore. I won't go and speak to them. The next minute he goes. <laughs> you get the same thing with the Apostle Paul who wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. And the first time he wrote to them, he, he said, now you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. This is wrong and this is wrong. And then later he writes a second letter and he says, he says, oh, you don't know what it cost me that first letter. I had a terrible time about that letter. I really felt I'd been too hard. He didn't realize, evidently, that he was writing scripture. That was the first letter of the Corinthians. But he'd had a bad time about it. That's a great comfort to many of us. <laughs> uh, he'd had an actual bad time about it. And thought that somehow or other the Lord was, wasn't in. Oh, he thought, if only I hadn't sent that letter. If only I hadn't been quite so quick. If I could only sort of torn it up or, or taken that out and that out and that out. The point is, you see, the wonder of this whole thing is that God is dwelling in human vessels. And not just in so many individuals, but in us together. This is the whole wonder of it. The way God can express himself through me is only through one in one way. I am too finite. Those who know me best know it. I'm finite. You are finite. Those who know you know that you're finite. It's ridiculous to think of any, even the greatest preacher, the greatest servant of the Lord, to think that that person can have everything. They can't. A Paul needs a James for balance. He needs a Peter for balance. And so when you put them together, you have the fullness of Christ. Now really, um, we're talking this morning about the practical outworking of this uh, 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 it this vision, the eternal purpose of God. Some people think as soon as you start to think about this or about this, they start to oh, it was mystical. <laughs> you ever heard that? I, I've, of many places, I've, when I've gone, I've heard myself described afterwards as a mystical preacher. Because I know very well it's not a compliment. <laughs> I, I, I know what they mean. They, they, what they're saying is this, you see. If once you start to take these things and translate them into action, you are a mystic. You haven't got your feet on the ground. Once you really start to trust the Lord for things, if once you really start, in, instead of having haggling meetings, really seek the Lord uh, for his mind and get his mind, and get things done that way. Once you start um, uh, to do it, then you're a mystic. Well, let's join the company of the mystics then. <laughs> because in actual fact, in every single age, in church history, every 
part, every phase of church history, it has always been this so-called mystical, which has gone hand in hand with God's most powerful and authoritative working. Of course, it's not mystical in the sense that it's all off the ground and sort of uh, airy-fairy, all up in the air. It's not that at all. It's, uh, it, it, it is what the Bible calls spiritual. Now, there's a vast difference between being a mystic and being spiritual. Being spiritual simply means that you and I have come to recognize that God is in us. That we've got a life that's come out of heaven into us and is taking us back to heaven. This is the whole wonder of it. Practical outworking. The practical outworking of, of, of this vision. It is, I think, simply marvelous when you begin to realize that into me has come the Spirit of God from heaven. And it's like, if you know what I mean, like a loop line. He's going round and going back. And he's taking me. He's come out of heaven, caught me, and taking me back with him. Now, that's what he's really doing with you. This is the meaning of Pentecost. That, that somehow or other, out of heaven, that's the origin of the purpose of God. The origin of our salvation. The origin of the church. The origin of the bride. It is Isaac, not Ishmael. It's come out of God as it were, onto the earth and going back. Do you understand? Let me illustrate. Um, for many, many generations on this wall here uh, nested swifts. Every September they went on their uh, migration to uh, South Africa, to Cape Town. And uh, almost like clockwork, in the second week of May, they would come back. And we would normally take the salute uh, as they dived backwards and forwards, screaming in the second week of May. Now, some years ago, we had the whole of that wall down. We had to have it down for, to be strengthened. Unfortunately, it was taken down in April. In the second week of May, the Swifts arrived back. And then we saw the most extraordinary sight. We saw two, three swifts, as you know, they very rarely ever alight, were, were hovering on a non-existent wall. Backwards and forwards they went, coming back to this non-existent wall. It was nothing of it was there. Yet something in them said, this is home. It's here. But it wasn't there. Unfortunately, two of them broke their necks because they got into the inside and then couldn't get out and flew into the uh, window. Uh, onto. But you see, there was a life in them. It, 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 it had brought them right back to a spot and even when the wall was not there, something in them said, but it is here. This is where it should be. And it's not here. Now, the most wonderful thing is that when the Holy Spirit gets into us, he has a homing instinct. He came from heaven. He belongs to heaven. And he's taking us back to heaven. And I, I believe that's the meaning of the rapture. That's the meaning of the final coming of the Lord. It's going to be absolutely marvelous. We're, we're going to be caught up with him. A moment of time. Well, uh, there's so much more we could say. Well, um, what, what can we, uh, if we look at this matter now, the practical outworking um, of uh, this purpose of God. 
Um, it is really a question of Christ being everything. Of God dwelling in us. Nor is this just something to do with eternity. But it has very much to do with this earth indeed. God's not interested in truth being mere ideals, mere theories, not even uh, mere doctrine. Uh, uh, he, he's not interested in it just being material for sermons or Bible study outlines uh, and so on. Uh, uh, he is interested in this whole thing being translated into flesh and blood experience so that we begin to learn the principles now in time which are going to govern the whole of eternity, so that we begin to learn and uh, be trained in those principles uh, which are going to govern the whole kingdom uh, through the ages uh, to come. Now, if you uh, turn to Ephesians and uh, uh, chapter 4, <coughs> and verse 1 the Apostle Paul as you know in these first three chapters has um, uh, given us the most amazing uh, revelation a glimpse into this purpose of God now he says I therefore the prisoner of the, in the Lord beseech you to walk worthily of the calling wherewith ye were called. From this point, he starts to come right down to all kinds of things. Apostles, prophets, pastors and teachers, evangelists, the building up of the body, uh, the building up of the body of itself in love. He speaks about growing up in all things into the head. This is all in these uh, succeeding verses. He says that it is in, um, in verse 16. It is according to the working in measure, in due measure, of each several part. It is exactly according to the way each part is functioning. And then he goes on and he starts talking about all kinds of things. He brings it right down. He says the thief should no more steal, but should work. Providing for himself and for others. He speaks of the kind of um, uh, wrong kind of conversation uh, that comes out of our mouths. He speaks of anger. He speaks of oh, every kind of... Then he starts talking about husbands and wives. Now, nor is he being sentimental in this matter. He takes the husband as a picture of Christ and the wife as a picture of the church. Uh, is he just a sort of being sentimental? If the Apostle Paul hadn't done this... Uh, we, none of us would have thought of such a thing. We wouldn't have thought of taking something like this, the eternal purpose of God, and start saying, now you husbands, remember, it's all to do with this. You wives, remember, it's all to do with this. No, we wouldn't have said that. It, because the Apostle Paul has said Well, why? Because it is in the relationship, in family relationships, in relationship to husband and wife, children, parent, parent, children, employer, employee, that all these things are going to be beaten out in everyday experience. In other words, it's in our life together as the people of God. It's in our family life. It's in our business life, our workaday life, that this whole matter is to be uh, 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 worked out. 
And indeed, if it is not worked out, there is no value. There is no value at all. We have suffered for so long and the whole history of the church is filled with people who have known things and have contradicted them in their life and experience. So you see, I think that this matter is something which we find everywhere in the Bible. Uh, you will remember uh, that Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 2 and uh, uh, verse 8, when he saw what the glory of the Lord, remember that the whole vision of Ezekiel is all to do with the glory of the Lord. When he saw it, he saw a scroll. And I suppose he was rather interested to see what was in the scroll. What was written in the scroll? But the voice said to him, Arise and eat it. And so we have the picture of Ezekiel munching uh, the uh, scroll with this word of God on it. What on earth is it all about? You would have thought, surely the idea is that he should get the scroll, open it, read it, and then go off and start to proclaim it. No, says the Lord, but forever I show you this whole matter of the glory of the Lord and the vessel for that glory, which we get in the last chapters of Ezekiel, the house of God, from which flows out the river of life. Before ever you see that, you've, this word's got to get in you and it's got to do the work inside of you. Now, it's exactly the same with dear John in uh, John 10, uh, Revelation 10, sorry, and verse 10, 9 and 10. First of all, verse 8, the voice which I heard from heaven said, Go, take the book which is, op it, which is open in the hand of the angel that standeth upon the sea. Verse 9, I went unto the angel, saying unto him that he should give me the little book. He said unto me, Take it and eat it up. But what is all this? I understand it only in the, in the words of, of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 and verse 15. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word get into you. Let this whole matter really come into our experience. Now this means simply that it cannot only be a matter um, of the personal. It's got to be a matter of the corporate too. This purpose of God is essentially to do with the corporate. It's not just you as an individual alone on your own, but the whole together. And that's why all the terms which describe this are all terms which speak of union. We speak of, he speaks of a house built up of living stone, growing into a temple in the Lord for a habitation of God in the Spirit. He speaks of a, a husband and wife, a bridegroom and bride, both, as it were, becoming absolutely one. Indeed, he goes further. He's, he, he thinks of the bride as the one taken out of the man and brought back to him. Uh, it's everywhere you look, body and head, head and body. You'll never get a living body without a head. And you'll never get a living head without a body. Uh, to have a living head, uh, you must have a body. To have a living body, you must have a head. The two things belong together. They're not to be viewed separately. They are a totality. 
They belong to each other. So wherever we look, we begin to see something of this. This matter of the purpose of God in its practical outworking must have something to do with Christ's bride, the city. It is to do with the building of the body, the producing of the materials out of which the um, city uh, is uh, made or, or, or built. Now, if you will turn to the chapter we read in Revelation. Revelation. I want you to note a remarkable correspondence again between these first three chapters of um, Revelation and the last two chapters of Revelation. First of all, you will remember in what we read together, we have seven lampstands. Better lampstands than candlestick, as in the authorised version. Seven lampstands, golden lampstands. And we're all familiar with that because we remember it, I'm sure, from uh, the, the tabernacle and the temple. And we will remember it too from Zechariah's prophecy about the great golden lampstand, which is all to do with building. People sometimes say, what is this, um, what is this golden lampstand? I don't understand what this lampstand's all about. The lampstand is the testimony of Jesus. What is the testimony of Jesus? The testimony of Jesus is to the original purpose of God for mankind. That God and man were never meant to be apart, but were meant to be one. Together, that is the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is simply this. Here is a man, as man, in whom God has found his home. The meeting place of God and man. The place where the whole world can see God in him. The testimony of Jesus. Now, the testimony of Jesus is always connected with the tabernacle or with the temple. That is, the meeting place of God, the home of God, the habitation of God. If you look in Zechariah chapter 4, um, going back from Revelation for one moment, you will see that it is all to do, first it begins off with, with uh, um, this golden lampstand and it's fed by, by two olive trees. And, of course, immediately the prophet, like all of us, is terribly interested in these olive trees and these branches because somehow or other he feels, this, is a, this has got something to do with me, which it had. It's funny how we all often intuitively know when something's got to do with us. We're, we're very interested in that. And we can forget all the other things. But the prophet, the angel, refuses to answer the prophet in Zechariah. He keeps on saying, but what are these? And the angel says, uh, and uh, he goes <laughs> blithely on. And so again, the, the Zacharias says, but what are these? And at the end, the angel says, oh, these are, these are the two anointed ones that stand on either side of the, of the Lord, the king of the whole earth. Now, what, why, why was the angel so loath uh, to explain to the prophet about the olive tree? I think this is an important point. He did not want uh, the prophet 
to put experience before objective. And this is what many of us are doing. We put experience before really seeing the aim and object of God. So then you get lots of little blessing groups. You know, all we're interested in is our blessing, our satisfaction, having a good time, even sort of, you know, just sort of enjoying ourselves. That's all we're interested in. Now the Lord preserve us and deliver us from that. Uh, and like Zachariah, he saw the lampstand. Now when he saw the lampstand, then the angel said, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and the top stone shall be brought forth with shouts of grace. Grace unto it. It's a building program. This lampstand's all to do with a divine building program. It's the house of God. It's this city. It's the bride again. We're back to the whole thing. And then he comes back and says, Now, Zechariah, only as the, you become a branch, as it were, uh, pouring gold into the, into the lampstand, can this thing be done. We're back again to the materials. Gold. I'm sorry to have to just touch on these things. We ought to have a whole week or two and just take one of these things each for each session. I'm sorry if, if, if it's too much for you uh, to dart off to Zachariah and say these things, but you've got the tape. And what I suggest, <laughs> what I suggest you do is just listen to this bit uh, when you get the tape one day and, and, and then just sit down and read the whole thing and pray about it. See if God will give you real light. Um, on it. Now, the point of the matter is that this lampstand is all to do with a building program. Now come back to Revelation uh, chapter 1. We've got seven golden lampstands, not one, but seven. Now, seven in Scripture, it always speaks of completeness. Always. Wherever you go in the whole of the word, seven always speaks of completeness or fullness. We have, the, we have the seven spirits of God. There are not seven spirits of God. It's the one spirit of God. It speaks of the full power and glory uh, of the Holy Spirit, the fullness. Now you have seven churches. So what we have here, really, is uh, uh, the church on earth. That's all. Seven churches. Completely. And you, seven actual places are selected. We've got them in Revelation uh, 1 and verse 11, se seven places. So now each one is represented. What is it represented by? Well, this is very interesting. It's not, it, it, it's not represented by a baptistry, and it's not represented by a dove, and it's not represented even by a cross. It's represented by a lampstand. In other words, the whole thing is this, that having been saved, having known something of the Holy Spirit come upon us, now it's all with a great purpose in view. It's a building program that God... And isn't this interesting? Again, digressing, going back to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14. What does it continue to say? That all things be done to building up. Building up. But we often think of building up as some little small thing. But the smallest little bit of building up you and I engage in to one another means that, that we are building up the body of Christ. 
Right, come back again to Revelation uh, 1. We've got seven golden lampstands, which are seven churches, that is the church, the church, in time and in place. All right. And in the midst of them, we have the risen, authoritative, glorified Son of God. Now, isn't this interesting? So much for this idea that the Lord hasn't much time for the things on earth. He's only bothered about the heavenly. You know, there's people who, who make such a distinction between the church and the churches that the church is out without spot, without blemish, holy, indivisible, marvellous, pure. Everything is right, and the churches on earth, you can do anything in them you want. You, you, can, you can contradict every single thing in the heavenly and the churches on earth. So much for that here. Where is the Lord walking? In the midst of the seven golden lampstands. To whom is the Lord speaking? To the church in heaven? No. He's speaking to these people of God as they live in their local situation. Now isn't that interesting? <laughs> Will you now note another thing? That to each one he says... Revelation uh, uh, 2, verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches, to him that overcometh will I. And then again, chapter, in the same chapter, verse 11, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches, he that overcometh. Again, in verse 17, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches, to him that overcometh, to him will I give. Again, in verse uh, 26, And he that overcometh, and he that keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give authority. Chapter 3, verse um, 5, He that overcometh, uh, and verse uh, uh, 12, He that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out thence no more, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God and mine own new name. And again, verse 21, He that overcometh, I will give him to sit down with me in my throne. Now, you will note that his message to every one of these churches is about overcoming. Now, what is overcoming? It is not something sensational. It's not something dramatic. It is simply keeping in living relationship with the Lord in a local situation. And that's all that overcoming is. It is to maintain one's life with God in the local situation. Now, isn't that where we're all found out? That's exactly where we are. Oh, we, have, we collide with this person. We collide with that person. We feel we get a dark look from so-and-so. Down we go. We, it's our local situation. Someone only has to say, I think you were a bit too long in prayer. Oh, that wicked person. How could they say such a thing about me? <laughs> about me? It's in the local situation we have all the problems. And it's in the local situation we find, one, or we find out about ourselves. Uh, 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 the fact of the matter is simply that overcoming is not some wonderful thing that you can go to Keswick and get, 
or to go to go to Capel and get, or, 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 or come here and get. You don't just get overcoming. Overcoming is in the local situation. What point is there in a kind of experience of overcoming which is not translated into effective action? Day by day. The Lord is not hoodwinked by any of us in this matter. In the end, it's the local situation. Now, take a look at these places. These, by the way, these churches uh, here, they're, they're, not, um, they're not denominational churches. They're not labeled churches. Uh, they are just the believers as found in each locality. They are, in that sense, true churches. <coughs> true churches. They're not on sectarian grounds. They're not on divisive ground. They're not on exclusive ground. They're not built on the ground of some particular doctrine or tenet or practice or method or experience. They're built on Christ. And their arms are open to everyone, evidently, who is in Christ. So the only name they've got is Ephesus, Tharatara, Pergamon. That's the only thing that's attached to them. We don't read of the, of the uh, well, perhaps I'd better not start. Uh, 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 this name here, and you know, the kind of thing we get. We don't read about that. It's just simply the company of God's people. There's only one people of God, and they're just divided, really, by where they live. It's as simple as that. I'm in Richmond, I'm in the church in Richmond. You may come from, uh, where shall we say, Bristol, so you're in the church at Bristol. Uh, uh, if you come from... Canterbury, you're in the church of Canterbury. I mean, God only sees one church, but it's just simply divided by where we live. So simple. Now, you will notice that it's there in that situation that everyone overcomes. Now, will you notice that these places are anything but perfect? So, so much for this idea of the perfect church. Someone said, if you found the perfect church, it won't be. <laughs> and you've got into it <laughs> we're always looking for the perfect church of course it's not wrong to look for, for a measure of a real growing progressive measure of holiness and purity and Christ-likeness and so on but the fact is that down here on earth if it really is the church it cannot be perfect why? because it's inclusive it includes every single born-again believer. And that means we include not just the spiritually elite, not just those who are going on, those who've had a real experience of the Lord, of, of the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, gifted by those. No, no, it's not just those. It's everyone. Those who've, who, are, who are sick spiritually, those who are dwarfed spiritually, those who are lame spiritually, those who are the God's awkward squad. <laughs> <laughs> They're all in on it. They're all in on it. The whole lot of them. Now, if, it, if the church is that, it can't be perfect. It can't be perfect. And therefore, the Lord's word to every, every place is to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh. He never says leave unless the candle, the lampstand goes. Only if the lampstand goes have we any right to move. And then we move with the lampstand. Whilst the lampstand is there, his, his, his word is overcome, overcome. And what is overcoming? Overcoming is to keep in the love of God in a situation that may be filled with difficulty. 
Keep in the power of God in a situation that is filled with defeat. Keep uh, in the humility of Christ. When everything would bring out pride and, 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 and your flesh life and so on and so forth, that is to overcome. Overcoming is to judge things and yet not be critical. He that is spiritual judgeth all things. You don't swallow everything that happens there. But that's exactly what the Lord says. The Nicolaitanism, he says, is here. In another place, it's the Jezebel. Now, this is interesting. Now, <clears throat> if you'll turn to the last chapters uh, of, of, um, of Revelation, we find the most interesting thing. Now, this... Um, if you can all attend uh, on this, uh, because this is a little involved. Now, here in these last two chapters, you have got, uh, again, the lampstand. Only you have to look to find it. All right? First of all, we've got the lamp. Verse 23. The city has no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine upon it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamp thereof is the Lamb. The, the lamp thereof is the Lamb. Now we've got the light in the Lamb. Alright, same verse. Uh, for the glory of God did lighten it. And verse 24, And the nations shall walk amidst the light thereof, and the kings of the earth bring their glory into it. So now we've got the lamp and we've got the light. What is the stand? Now, you must understand uh, the old uh, menorah or the old lampstand um, was, uh, you'll see some in, in the house. Uh, those of you who wander around, you'll probably see some. Um, now, uh, but they're, they're not correct because they're the old candle ones. But the old ones came up, seven branches, and into each fitted a little oil lamp. You understand? So you had the stand... All right? Then you had the lamps, <laughs> and then you had the light. All right? Now, we've got the light. The glory of God did lighten it, and the nations walk in the midst thereof. In the light thereof. We've got the lamp, and the lamb is the lamp thereof. What is the stand? Don't you see it? The city. Where's the, where's the stand? Isn't that marvelous? We've got the lamp! Who is the Lamb? And the glory of God is in the Lamb. He is all the glory of Emmanuel's Lamb. All the glory. So his glory radiates out from the lampstand. Now here we've got an even more interesting thing in chapter 21, verse uh, uh, 7. It says, He that overcometh shall inherit these things. So now we find a very interesting thing. That the eternal church, the <coughs> eternal city, the bride of the Lamb, is evidently related to these churches in time and in place. Do you see? <laughs> yes, I will. Evidently, the eternal church, the city of God, the eternal city, the bride, being in it, the materials out of which it is produced, 
gold, precious stone and pearl, are all related to the churches in time and in place. Got it? You can't be, you, in other words, the materials out of which that city is to be produced have got to be worked, refined, uh, polished, fitted, down here in time and in place. Oh, so, uh, I, wonder, oh, I don't know how, I wish I could... One needs the tongue of an angel, I think, really, um, here to uh, be able to, to put this over. But you see, the whole point is this. Your local situation is determining the amount of material that's going into the city. And it's not only your personal life and the way you're coming through, husbands and wives, children, parents... Uh, it's all part of church life, you know. Some people think that when they walk out the door, they've left the church. You know, people sort of say, I left my handbag in church. <laughs> I've never read anywhere in the New Testament of someone leaving their handbag in church. <laughs> I left my umbrella in church. Well, wait, how can you leave your umbrella in church? That would mean to get it into me. <laughs> I don't mind you leaving your handbag so long as there's something in it. <laughs> you can't leave anything in the church in that sense. Isn't it interesting that in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26, the Apostle Paul didn't say, when you go to church, let each have. He said, when you come together. You are the church. When you come together as the church, that's different. You are always the church. You can never unchurch yourself. Some people think, this is church life, this is personal life, this is family life, this is business life. But there's no such thing. We are the church. We are the church. We're always the church, at all times. Why? Because the church is being in Christ. Now tell me, when you go out of the door, do you go out of Christ? Of course you don't. Does Christ go with you? Of course he goes with you. Can you get out of him? No, you can't get out of him. You are in him. So if you're in him, you're always in church. And if he's in you, the church is always in you. Think of it like that. And then we begin to see some wonderful things. You see, it's all our relationship to one another. It then a whole matter of our families, of our work uh, um, place, our business life, or whatever it is. Um, uh, it, it all begins to take on a new complexion because God is using all the circumstances and situations and difficult people and relationships and everything else to do something in us and to produce these uh, materials uh, that are so uh, important. So it is a matter really of union with Christ. It is practical outworking. It is a matter of, of union with Christ, of being in him and he in me. And that's exactly the same with the churches. Uh, the, what are we? We are the people of God. That's all. Are we not? Of course we are. In the old days, <laughs> of course, um, uh, we could all hark back to the old days in a wrong uh, Matter. You know, I mean, when I'm thinking of New Testament times, of course it was so simple. Here was I, here was I, uh, shall I say I was a Jew? Well, now I'm in, I'm in Jerusalem, and, and I'm walking by, and, and I hear these men standing up preaching, and I think, good 
gracious me. I start to listen and I get saved. Then they baptize me. And, 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 they, and I find I'm in the family. No one says, now then, uh, uh, after so long, we'll give you the right hand of fellowship <coughs> and we'll put your name on our membership roll. Especially if, little later on, you have a further experience, <laughs> which we feel is very vital. But they never said anything of the kind. You were either in or you were out. You were either in Christ or out of Christ. The minimum was that you were saved. Now, here I am. I'm in the church of God. I'm in the family of God. Think of it like that. I'm in Christ. Now, when I go to Antioch, what happens? Am I a member of the Church of Jerusalem visiting Antioch? No, not at all. I'm just a member of Christ. When I come to Antioch, I say, where's the family? Oh, they're meeting over in that place. So I go and I say, I have a question. Oh, come in. <laughs> come in, they say. They don't say to me, now then, all worldliness gone? <laughs> have you been baptized? Have you got a letter? <laughs> <laughs> the point is, they take me as a believer. Now, we're not saying that we should be loose in discipline, not at all. There is a strong discipline. Without any of all this rigmarole we have, and Ananias and Asaphara drop dead because of the Holy Spirit. Far stronger discipline. People continually say to me, but surely you can't have any discipline if you don't have a membership, if you don't have all these things. How can you... My dear child of God, there's a far stronger discipline when the Holy Spirit is sovereign. <laughs> far, far stronger. When we don't limit the Holy Spirit, when we don't contradict the principles that govern these things, the Holy Spirit is able to discipline, take care. Of course, it comes through people as well. We're all disciplining one another every day. We are. I mean, there you are, all sitting there. You're all really disciplining one another. You can't, uh, if someone wants to, <gasps> you can't do that. Otherwise, you'd hit your brother and your sister. So you're disciplined. You have to wait. <laughs> you see, we're all. All of life is discipline. All of life is in no family can run without discipline. Nothing can run without discipline. We all discipline ourselves. We all accept discipline in order to live. And this is part of church life. Now here we are. If I was going to Antioch, I'm a, I'm a member of the family of God. I often say to people, to, to which church did the Apostle Paul belong? Well, of course, the answer is, he was just in the family of God. When he was in this place, he was there. When he was there, he was there. Do you understand? Isn't that marvellous? Now, the wonderful thing is, we, I, I trust we shall see tonight, say, this is what God is doing all over the earth. Thing that we never thought could ever happen. People who wouldn't touch us with a barge pole coming to us and nearly hugging us. <laughs> And we find that they are the Lords and that we are the Lords. It's just incredible. And we can only say that this is the work of the Spirit of God. That God is working according to purpose. That's all. And that the end is going to correspond to the beginning. 
Well, now, it seems to me, therefore, that really all God is seeking to do is to bring his people back to that, to that recovery of first things, of first principles. We might uh, move together in life and love uh, and light. Um, it seems to me there are two things that the churches are. One is they are the expression of the life and glory and character of Christ. They're not just little bless-me groups without any responsibility or discipline. But the church in any locality is meant to be the believers there in that locality expressing the glory and character and life of Christ. And isn't that just what really uh, the Apostle hints at when he says that a man shall come in and shall fall down and say, God is here. It's not just the preaching. It's not just the gifts. It's the fact that God is there. God is there. It's as if God is at home. God is at home here. I feel it. That's what it should be. That's on the one side, the expression of the glory and fullness and life of Christ. On the other side, the church down here is a builder's yard. It's scrappy. There are all the instruments all around, chisels and hammers and saws and everything else. Uh, there, are, there are stones of all different shapes and sizes uh, being sort of uh, cut and uh, shaped in order to be fitted, we don't always like the stone that God puts us next to. You know, if we could only choose, we always think, oh, how I love the people of God in Cape Town. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes we can so easily pray for the saints on the other side of the globe. But it's really a matter of really getting down to living together here. Because in actual fact, it is the measure in which I can love my brother and sister, which is the real measure in which I will love them. Many a time I've met people who fled. You know, it's always the Lord has led them. Um, they said, well, you know, the Lord has led me to emigrate. <laughs> Off they go. And after a few years, back comes a letter. Could you pray for us? <laughs> We've got the most dreadful situation. I thought I'd escaped it. But we've come right up against it again. You never, you never get away from a situation when God is trying to teach you something. Jacob was the best example of this. He ran away from home and God put him with his uncle. Jacob was the biggest twister in the Middle East and his uncle was the second biggest <laughs> And so the, the two of them... The two of them were together for 21 years and they swindled each other for 21 years. And in the end, Jacob thought, oh, my uncle, he's the most wicked man in the world, until he began to see himself reflected beautifully in Laban. Then he married his two wives. Leah, well, Leah he did think was a swindler. And the more he saw in Leah, the more he saw of her fathering. But he never thought Rachel was a swindler till they fled. You may remember the story father came after them and there was dear Rachel sitting up there on the camel all sweet and demure oh no no we haven't got the household gods she said she was sitting on them <laughs> <laughs> I often say it was a, a triple mirror Laban Leah Rachel poor Jacob 
He saw himself three times in those that were closest to him. And in the end, when the angel of the Lord had prepared him, he met the angel of the Lord and was changed from Jacob to Israel. Prince with God. That's how God does it with us. That's what it is to be an overcomer. First of all, we have all the problem in the local with one another, having to stay with each other, having to learn from each other, having to be disciplined by each other, fitly framed, knit together. Oh, it's not as easy as it sounds. But it's all got an eternal object in view. It may not appear to be so at the time, but it's all got an eternal objective in view. Material is being produced. Well, I think we should end, but let me just say this uh, finally. Have you ever noticed in this matter of practical outworking of vision that every time anyone gets a vision, they drop dead? They drop down as one dead. Ezekiel fell as one dead. Daniel kept on falling down as one dead. John fell down as one dead. They were always falling down. Uh, it was the first thing you know when when we get the idea that if God was to give us a real vision oh we'd be transported into heaven but the first thing that happens is we drop down as one dead lifeless and the second thing a right hand touches him and sets him up on his feet now, isn't that interesting? What does it mean? It means simply this, that this whole matter of the outworking of the purpose of God is a matter of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do, the, how do these materials, out of which the city is built, how do they come to us? They've come to us through the finished work of the Lord Jesus, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Gold, precious stone, pearl. it's all Christ. All Christ. That's how it comes to me. That's how it comes to you. You'll never get it any other way. The rest is the wood, hay, and stubble of your own nature, of your own resources. But the gold, the precious stone, the pearl, that's Christ. But something more, now get this and we'll finish. Um, you see, it's not just that it comes through his death and resurrection, but it comes to our identification with his death and resurrection. That's why they fell dead and had to be set up on their feet. Do you know what it means to be, to be crucified with Christ? And nevertheless, live, yet not you, but Christ lives in you. And the life that you now live, you live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself to you. You know something of that? Do you know something of the right hand of God coming on you? The power of the Holy Spirit setting you up upon your feet so that you have a new beginning, a new life with a, a new dynamic and a new origin. Your own resources finished. Now it's from heaven into you and yet somehow still coming through the vessel so that it is truly you and yet truly God. I sometimes think that the Two things we find in the Old Testament in this connection uh, um, are most illustrative. We have at the very beginning of the history of the people of God as the people of God, the story of the bush that burned 
with fire. And that bush was a picture of Moses, a picture of the people of God, a dried up thorn bush. Now, dear child of God, dear servant of the Lord, if you haven't found out that the people of God are nothing more than a dried up thorn bush, you've still got a discovery to make, a basic discovery. You have to find out that you are only a thorn bush which has lived its life and died, its resources dried up before the fire of God can get into you. And it's the same with any company of believers. We, we all get very happy about getting together and at the beginning it's all marvellous but before long God starts to dry up all the natural resources and all the natural sort of gaiety and everything is all starts to dry up because it's a thorn bush we've got to discover. We're only thorn bushes. That's all. That's one side. But the other side is fire. And fire speaks of warmth, love. It speaks of light. It speaks of power, of energy. It speaks of all that God is. And the wonderful thing is that it's, that it's in the bush. Not apart from the bush, not above the bush, but in the bush. God is in the bush. And that, to me, is really what the church on earth is like. Just a thorn bush with God blazing out in all his glory to those around us. So they will turn aside and hear the voice of God coming out from the thorn bush. Take off your shoes from off your feet, for the ground whereon you stand is holy ground. If you'd seen the tabernacle in the old days, you wouldn't have been very excited. Not from a distance, because the whole thing was covered with seal skin. <coughs> and they're very, very uninteresting, dirty-looking uh, things. Nothing beautiful at all. You would say, what on earth are those people making all that song and dance about that tabernacle for? It's nothing at all. But the pillar of cloud and fire, that was in it. And of course, when you got inside, you saw all the beauty of God. Practical outworking, and the Lord help us. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we just bow in thy presence and we would ask thee again that thou wouldst really help us, Lord. There's so much has been said this morning, we can't retain it all. But Lord, thou canst by thy spirit, thou canst take Things that have been said this morning, thou canst write them indelibly upon our hearts. Other things, Lord, thou canst retain in our spirits to come into real life and understanding at a future time. But, Lord, we do praise thee that thou art able to use this little time and to cause it, Lord, to go far beyond the confines of just ourselves here. Thou art able, Lord, to relate it to all that thou art doing uh, with that eternal purpose of thine in view. Do it, Lord, we pray. Let there be revelation given to every one of us. We ask it together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.